It's uh, great to be with you on this rainy Sunday morning in worship. Um, in the spirit of the fall and the autumn season, we brought out our rustic chairs, so, so hopefully it enhances the feel and the flavor of worship. hope you can appreciate that. I'm just kidding. There was a wedding here yesterday, and so they brought in, the caterers brought in these more like fancy looking chairs. They'll be gone by next week. But uh, my name's Eugene, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's good to be worshiping with you. Uh, as Danny mentioned, we've been going through the Ten Commandments, and so uh, as uh, we've been doing every week, I, I want us to, um, to memorize, or for many of us, to rememorize the Ten Commandments. So can we begin there? And uh, uh, do you remember the first commandment? Let's say it together. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, what was the second commandment? No idols. Don't make any graven images. Worship me the right way, God says. What's the third commandment? Do not misuse his name. Uh, not only in the way that we speak it, but in the way that we live it as we are baptized in the name of Jesus, in the way that we live. How are we representing the name of God? Uh, what is the fourth commandment? Anybody remember last week? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, all right? It's a day that we are to pause and to reflect on who God is and who we are in Him and not what the world tells us we are. And then today we'll be looking, as we just prayed, at the fifth commandment, which is to honor your mother and your father. If you look at the Ten Commandments, they're actually uh, easily dividable into two parts or two sections. The first four commandments really focus on our duty to God, what it means to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then beginning in the fifth commandment to the tenth commandment, the, 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 second, the second half or the six remaining commandments, it really has to do with our duty to our neighbor. What does it mean to love our neighbors as ourselves? When Jesus was asked about uh, the commandments, he said they can all be summarized. The, the, the law, the prophets, all of those can be summarized in two commands, love God and love your neighbor. And so as we read the Ten Commandments, we can also see that same division, that the first four have to do with what it means for us to honor God, to love God, to worship God, our duty to God. And then commandments 5 through 10 really uh, have to speak into our lives and how we can love our neighbors as ourselves. And what better place to start than in our own homes with our families? And so that's what we're going to look at today. And uh, I know that uh, for many of you, uh, this particular commandment, really, uh, to talk about it, is like opening up a can of worms. And so uh, let's uh, read the passage together, pray, and then ask God to speak to us. If you have your Bibles, uh, we'll be reading from Exodus 20. And we're going to read, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through the first four commandments all the way up till the fifth commandment. This is Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien living within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of God. Can we bow in a word of prayer? Father, as we uh, have come back together to be in your presence and to be in a place of community, uh, a place of faith and love and hope, God, now would you uh, speak to each and every single one of us, collectively as a whole, but Lord, even individually as people. Uh, Lord, we have all come to church today with uh, different thoughts and different ideas and different expectations. Um, All of our weeks have been different. Our weekends have all been unique. And Lord, we're now here gathered in this one place. And we ask that you would cover over us now with your Holy Spirit. That your presence would be heavy and thick in this place. That you would have your way with us as we uh, read your word together. As we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, God. Would you now uh, take reign and rule in this place. In our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts. Lord, take every one of our thoughts captive to your will now. Father, we also ask for your uh, spirit to bring healing in this room today, especially as we talk about our families, as we talk about our parents, our fathers, our mothers, and, and all that that brings up and conjures in this place. Father, would today be a day of redemption. May we celebrate your son who is alive, who has paid the price for our sins and has given us everlasting life. And in so doing, Lord, may our worship to you be honorable and pleasing in your sight. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, like I just mentioned, uh, this is uh, the beginning of really the second half or the second part of the Ten Commandments. And for the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at God's commandments to us and how we can live among others, to love them, to honor them, uh, to have Christ central in our relationships. Um, Actually, I do want to mention this. Um, Next Sunday, actually, we will take uh, a break from the Ten Commandments series. Next Sunday, we will have a a guest speaker here. Um, One of our mission partners from Japan is visiting in the States right now, and he and his wife will be here at our church, and they'll preach, and they'll be sharing their work in Japan. And so next Sunday will be a special Sunday, uh, so please come out and be a part of that. Um, as we get to see and hear about the work that we're supporting as a congregation. And then in two weeks, we'll pick up on the sixth commandment, which is thou shalt not murder, do not murder. Uh, But today, we're going to look at a very important command because it's not like God was speaking to his people and he was saying, you know, there should be no other gods before me and remember the Sabbath and, and, and use my name in a way that's honorable. And then he goes, oh, time out, time out. Hold on a second. Kids, kids, I want you to pay attention here. Children, children, stop. Stop what you're doing. Listen to me. I want you to listen to your parents. Go and obey what they tell you to do. Okay, now, adults, all right, let's keep going. Don't murder, don't steal. And, and it's not like God is taking a, a moment here to address the children because This commandment addresses anyone and everyone who is alive. Unless you are hatched from a shell, 
or an egg, you have parents. You have a, a father and a mother. You, uh, the, the, it, it took a, um, genetics, it, it took bio, biology for you to be born into this world in some way, shape, or form, and we have parents. However, with that said, I recognize that not all of us were raised in the same kinds of families. Some of us were from a single-parent home. Some of us may be even orphans. Uh, we don't know our parents. Some of us might have two loving parents. Some of us might have two very unloving parents, or one or the other, some different combination. But this commandment is important because it teaches us so much about the heart of God. It's theologically uh, accurate and heavy and weighty, but it's also practically important for all of us, for every single one of us. The command begins this way, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That word honor in Hebrew is the word kaved, kaved, which is uh, really, uh, literally it means to be heavy or to be weighty. Um, and so in this context here, it is to honor our mother and our father is to give them weight, uh, to give them Glory. Glory is also another word that means weight or heaviness. It is to give them significance, esteem, or respect, uh, to uh, not take them lightly or simply. It is to acknowledge their authority in your life. And to not honor your father and mother is to dishonor them, which is to not give them any weight or any, uh, any significance in your life, to not take uh, their, their counsel or their, their words to you uh, with much uh, weight or significance. Uh, it's like taking what they have to say with a grain of salt. It's to disrespect them. It's to treat them uh, without any authority or any obedience. Now, the Bible also reinforces this command. And if you read the other places in Scripture where this command is reinforced, you will see that uh, this is really important biblically and to the heart of God. If you read in Deuteronomy 21, it says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. Okay, so then what? They shall say to the elders, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a profligate and a drunkard. Then all the men of this town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. In other words, all the other kids will hear about it and they will listen to their parents. Imagine that. Imagine living in a society or in a culture where if you don't eat your vegetables and your parents have to tell you more than twice, then they'll take you to court and you'll be locked up and you'll be put on death row and they will execute you. Think of it that way. This is how heavy, how important, how weighty this command was in the community of God's people. It says in Leviticus 20, For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Now, we've just looked at a couple of places that have supplemented this fifth commandment on honoring our parents. And uh, quite simply... Uh, really, all I really need to say is we should do this because the Bible says so. 
If the Bible is God's word, then it's his will. And for us to disobey or to not take seriously this particular command would be to disobey God and to take God lightly. Uh, These are not the ten suggestions. These aren't ten good ideas for you. This is not chicken soup for the soul. These are ten commandments. And God begins by saying, I am the Lord, your God, who has redeemed you. And so these are ten things I want to give to you so that you can experience the best possible life. Now, at the same time, I recognize, even though this is a command of the Bible, that sometimes uh, it's hard to obey this. There are things that our parents may tell us to do or influences that they might have upon our lives that are not honoring to anyone. And so this uh, commandment is not condoning for you to be in a relationship that is abusive, whether it's physically or verbally or emotionally, uh, to not be in a place of domestic violence where your parents or your mother or your father or someone in authority in your home is taking advantage of you and violating your freedom uh, as a human. That is not what this uh, verse is uh, saying it's okay about. But at the same time, this uh, commandment is also teaching us a greater general principle about what it means to also respect authority. Because the reality is, our relationship with our parents is what we transpose or uh, uh, reflect up on our relationship with God. Uh, it's been said that many of the world's leading atheists, uh, the agnostics, the ones like a Freud and a Nietzsche, uh, hated their fathers or were estranged from them or despised them. And they made the correlation that their relationship with their earthly father was so strained that they were unable to conceptualize a God that could love them, a God that would protect them, a God that would care for them. And so many of us, we've been so hurt. We have so much deep-seated pain from our parents because of things that they've said to us in the past, things that they haven't said to us, things like, I love you, son, or I'm proud of you, daughter, Uh, things that they haven't expressed or communicated. It's left us in a place where we've sort of transposed that relationship up upon God. Some of our parents are unreliable. They say one thing and they do another. And so we think God is unreliable. God says one thing, but he does another. God says he's faithful, but he's not there when I need him most. Just like my parents. They should be there when I need them most, and they're not there. Or sometimes our parents are just impossible to please, aren't they? Right? If you're not making straight A's, then you're not doing good enough. They have to be, not, it can't be a 95. It's got to be a 99 or a 100 or 103 with extra credit. Right? And then if you're getting 103, you've got to be the best piano player in your neighborhood. And you've got to be first chair in violin and the captain of the soccer team and the debate club, whatever. It's never good enough. I remember going to my mom and saying, hey, I'm done with my homework. Can I play? She'd say, well, did you review your homework? Really? Okay, so I'd go back and I'd review my homework. I, okay, mom, I reviewed my homework. Then she said, did you preview the next chapter? What? I mean, she was just impossible to please. Like, I just couldn't do enough to make her happy or proud. And so, you know, in many ways grew up thinking, there's no way I can please God. I can never do enough to make God love me. Like, I'll always fall short of his standard and his glory, which is true. But I've projected my relationship with my earthly parents to my heavenly father. 
And some of us have parents who aren't even Christian. What do we do about that? Does that mean we don't listen to them whatsoever? Well, you have to realize that uh, even in the New Testament, um, actually, uh, in in 2 Timothy, Paul says, uh, mark this, in the end times, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. Paul is saying, when the world is falling apart, one of the things you'll see is broken families. You'll see unstable households. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And I think that expression or that prepositional phrase, in the Lord, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, is also, uh, it should be common sense, but Paul makes it explicitly clear. Even if your parents aren't Christians, or whether they are Christians and they're asking you to do something that's not biblical, We should obey them if it's in the Lord because more important than obeying our earthly parents is to obey our heavenly Father God. But let me bring it back to the practical aspect of why this is important to us. It's important because the family unit is the first societal unit. It's the basic social unit in all of culture and society. It is the home, the family, the mother and the father and their children in that nuclear family. It is the first place where we begin to understand the concept of authority, obedience, submission, of cooperation, of communication, of decision-making. The home is the primary social unit where we learn how to behave as an organized group of people. It's the the, the family comes before uh, uh, political parties, it comes before organizations, schools, universities, churches, clubs. The home, the family is the first most basic social unit. And as many sociologists have said and agreed, as goes the family, goes society. As the family begins to break down, as the family becomes dysfunctional, as families become oppressive, broken, toxic places, that pain and that injustice that is experienced among parents and children and vice versa begins to spread out into the society, into the culture. And there are many social experiments and social scientists that will attest to this. And so, practically speaking, the home is a very important, precious place for us to understand and to to receive the concept of respect, the concept of authority, the concept of being able to communicate and make decisions together. But the home is also, practically speaking, really the first church. Uh, It's the place of, uh, the most basic place of spiritual care, uh, where every parent is entrusted with the task of discipling their own children, uh, of teaching them the ways of God. Now again, I know this doesn't apply to every family where it might not be a Christian household or one or both of the parents might not go to church. But again, this was the expectation that God had laid upon his people at the foot of Mount Sinai when these words were given. That the home is where parents are given the privilege and the honor of discipling their own children. You know, these days I've been uh, thinking about what that means for me. Uh, And uh, for a while, uh, the way that I would, and still I'm prone to do this, I would be, uh, I mean, as you all know, my, my job, I'm a pastor. And so I'd be pastor by day. And then I'd be something else by night when I'm at home. I'd be dad or, you know, father or husband or what, husband. Um, and uh, 
and, and, and I, re- I realized uh, a few years ago, somebody asked me, is like, you know, Eugene, um, you know, are we ever going to have a youth pastor or a children's pastor, things like that? And they're asking really good, important questions. You know, we've got a growing number of children and families in our church. And uh, I wasn't trying to be smart, but the first thing that kind of came to my mind was this. You know what? Like, I'm going to be the youth pastor. I- I'm, I'm a children's pastor, too. And what I meant by that statement was, I'm not just a pastor to the adults in our congregation. I'm not just a pastor to a certain life stage or a certain segment of our a church's population. I'm also the pastor to my own children. And I used to be a youth pastor. Uh, many years ago, I was, a, I was a seminary student, and I was working with middle school and high school students. And I was, my job was to be the spiritual guide for a bunch of adolescents, a bunch of teenagers, and I realized that that was, import, that was an important job for me because there was a breakdown of relationship between my students and their parents. A lot of it had to do with a language barrier and a culture gap, being the children of immigrants who didn't speak the same language. But I realized, you know, I don't have those excuses or those challenges with my children, so I should be the one that leads my child to faith. I should be the one to sit down and, and pray for my children and tell them about the Ten Commandments. I should be the one that sits down with them and has Bible study with them and says, this is what Paul is writing about to the church. This is what Moses was saying to the people of God. That is my God-given privilege and responsibility. And so, you know, even though we may someday at Cornerstone have a youth ministry with a youth pastor, my job will still be to be the primary pastor or the primary spiritual guide And I'm charging all of you here, parents and future parents, to also be the pastors of your children. To guide them spiritually, to pray for them, to bless them in the name of Jesus. Don't outsource that to some punk seminary kid who doesn't know anything, is just cool with a cool haircut and has a Bible with a Jesus tattoo. All right? Don't outsource that to some cool-looking youth pastor. No, you take that responsibility. Let that cool youth pastor guy be the one that does like all the, I don't know, like, yeah, you know, Jesus is cool. I know your parents aren't cool, but I'm cool. And, and, you know, they can do all that part, right? But there is that spiritual authority and unit. Thirdly, uh, practically speaking, this is important uh, because uh, it teaches us, like, and I've been mentioning this, how to respect authority. This, uh, this commandment says, Obey, honor your mother and father so that you may live long in the land. And it's not saying that if you're an obedient child, you'll have a long life expectancy. You'll live to be 80 or 90 years old. There's no guarantee. I mean, you can obey your parents and you could, your life could be cut short or you could be disobedient and live like longer than anybody. And that's, it's not saying literally, it's a, it's unconditional guarantee that if you honor them, you'll live forever. But it's a principle. It's a practical principle that says if you learn to honor your parents, you'll learn to respect authority. You'll learn to listen to your teachers and your lawmakers and the politicians and, and police officers and your principal and your boss and those who have authority over you. And you will learn to accept their, uh, their advice and their guidance for your life. Whereas someone who grows up not obeying their parents will not obey or respect any authority, their teachers, their principals, their employers, the lawmakers, or the law itself. They become rebellious. There's this 
pattern of rebellion and, uh, and, and disrespect. And again, we know what kind of life that can lead to. It can lead to a life of being a criminal. It could be a life of incarceration or a life cut short simply because there wasn't this pattern of respect and authority that was really built from the very basic social unit that God had blessed and entrusted spiritual and authoritative care over. This is also a justice issue. Before Social Security and Welfare and Medicaid before pension funds and 401ks. Parents worked until they couldn't work anymore, and then when they were unable to work, they had to depend on their children to provide for their needs. In fact, uh, children, uh, particularly sons, were considered to be messiahs of their families because they would be the one that would save their parents that they would bring uh, deliverance from them uh, for them when they came to a place in their lives when they could no longer work for themselves. And this is very traditional, where you would see extended family living together. In some cultures and societies, this still happens to be the case. But it's a justice issue, because at a time when your parents can no longer work, do they now just wither off and die because they can't provide for themselves? Or now are you who is able to work and provide? Do you provide and work so that you can care for them and you can provide for them and you can nurture them? And lastly, it is simply practical because we owe our parents an incredible debt of gratitude. They have given us so much. Again, not every parent has been stellar. Not every parent has been there. Not every parent has provided. But in general, parents are the ones who bring you into this world. They're the first ones that will wipe your butt, wipe your nose, feed you, teach you how to walk, teach you how to crawl, teach you how to ride a bike, teach you how to read and write. They're the ones that will put you through school, put you in school, They're the ones that will be there when you're hurting. They're the ones that will support you when you're lacking encouragement. And then we get to an age when we can return all of that blessing back to them. And life has a cyclical effect. There's like a circle of life, isn't there? I mean, our parents, it's not like Benjamin Button where they become young again, but when they get old, they're kind of, they become dependents. And we need to care for them, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. We need to encourage them and bless them and support them. This is the way that it should be. This is the way that it was meant to be. Unfortunately, this isn't always the case for us. Are we being good followers of God by honoring the fifth commandment? Are we respecting our parents? Are we taking their guidance and their words of wisdom into account? Do we give them esteem? Now, maybe they aren't the perfect parents. Maybe they don't deserve any of those things. Maybe, in fact, they're oppressive and they're manipulative and they're incredibly selfish. But let's be honest. How many of us here have been the perfect children? How many of us are perfect children? None of us here are perfect children. There was one perfect child, and that was Jesus. He was obedient to his parents from the manger to the cross to the grave and back from it. 
Jesus was the one who was the perfect child, but he was also the one who was obedient to the perfect father. And because of his perfect obedience to the perfect father and his death on the cross, he is able to cover over all of our disobedience, even our breaking of the fifth command, which is to honor our mother and our father. God was the perfect father. God is the perfect father. And our honor of God the Father should take priority over any of our earthly parents or any earthly authority figures in our lives. We should honor God first and foremost. Even if and when our parents and their best intentions have particular things that they want us to do. Uh, They give us advice or they're trying to guide us a certain way. We can take that into consideration. We can listen to them and honor them and respect them. But we must first and foremost obey God the Father. And only when we're able to obey God the Heavenly Father will we have the ability and the power to honor not only our earthly parents but to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that's why the Ten Commandments are ordered in this way. Love God first then love your neighbors as yourselves. You can't get the loving God part right, then you won't get the loving your neighbor part right. So let me just close um, with three um, important ideas or applications for us. Uh, Again, um, I know that we've all come from different families. Uh, We've had different childhood experiences. Uh, maybe even today, uh, maybe you know you've been blessed, and you have two parents who are so supportive and understanding, and, and every step of the way they've just been there for you. They've been your biggest fans and your cheerleaders, and all they wanted for you was was for you to be happy, and all they wanted for you was you to become a good person, and, and it wasn't about what they wanted for you. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum where your parents they they just ignored you, they abused you, uh, they they took you for granted. They didn't love you. They didn't tell you that you were special or that you were valuable. You could never please them. You could never satisfy them. Or something in between. Maybe they've let you down or maybe they are your heroes. Let me give uh, some very important ideas for us. No matter who we are or what our parents are like, I think these application points are ways that we can uphold this fifth command. The first one is this. We can honor our parents by finding culturally relevant ways to do so. Okay, and I really state that strongly because we come from many different cultures, but even all of our families have different sort of cultural uh, uh, expressions that are, that are weighed more heavily than others. Uh, in other words, find culturally appropriate or relevant ways to honor your parents. What is it that you know you can do that will honor your parents and bring them joy or be a blessing to them. Um, Maybe it's as simple as calling them regularly. I'm a big violator of this. I can't believe I just said that. But it's to call your parents more regularly, even if you don't have any reason to call them. Right? I mean, let me just, this is funny, but this is kind of like the conversation that my dad and I have oftentimes. He'll call me. Say, hey, Eugene, what's, how's it going? I'll go, okay, you know, he's speaking in Korean, I'm speaking in English. He says, hey, are the kids up? And I'll say, oh, no, actually, I just put them to bed. He goes, okay, take care, see you later. <laughs> you know, it's like, he didn't really call me to talk to me. He called me to talk to his grandkids. You know, he wanted to talk with them and FaceTime with them and see how they're doing. And I'm like, okay, dad, love you too, bye. You know, 
But um, that doesn't mean that we uh, should only call them when we need something or if there's a problem. Maybe we can honor them by calling them and saying, hey, I just uh, I was at church today and we talked about parents. I just want to see how you're doing and if I could pray for you. And I bet you for some of you, that would blow your parents away. They'd be like, what? You pray for me? What, what, what's, what's, what are you drinking? What are, you, are you on drugs? You know, I mean, that would really probably freak some of them out. But wouldn't it be a countercultural and a grace-filled action to take the initiative? Maybe they haven't called us to say that they would pray for us or they haven't called us just to see how we're doing. But we can call them and say, Mom, I know it's been a while, but how are you? How was your weekend? What did you do this morning? Okay, I got to go, but is there any way I can be praying for you or thinking about you this week? Man, think of the way that you can honor your parents in that way. I know that sounds almost impossible for some of you, but this is where I'm challenging you not to do this because I'm telling you to, but because the fifth commandment says honor your parents. It's biblical. Whether they're Christian or not, you can call them and you can pray for them. You can be sincere and hospitable and generous to them, even if they have been anything but so to you. So that's the first application. Find culturally appropriate or family appropriate ways to honor them. Right? My parents don't expect me to call them all the time. They didn't ask me to give them their first, my first paycheck. I know some people culturally, they're like, yeah, you know, you're supposed to give me your first paycheck. No, my parents never, never expected any of that from me. But one of the things that my parents really appreciate, I don't have to go home a lot, but it's when I come home for New Year's. There's something about New Year's where we begin the year together and in Korean culture, you bow down and, and you, you bless them and you say, hey, many blessings upon your year. <laughs> That's the one time when I'm home. I I mean, I could not be home 364 days a year, but on that day, if I'm home, to honor my parents, it means everything to them. And so I try to make it a a top priority every single year when, when I can. And there are times when I can't, but when I can, to be there, to honor my parents, because I know that that means so much to them, to be there on the first day of the year. You say, I'm not going to be here most of the year. I'm not going to see you. I'm not even going to call you that much, but I'm here. I'm going to honor you. So what is it that's appropriate for you and your family? What are some ways that you can honor them? Secondly, the second application, second idea. Honor your parents by acknowledging their need to see themselves in you. Let me say that again. Honor your parents by acknowledging their need to see themselves in you. So many of our parents take so much pride in our accomplishments and our achievements, right? I mean, they love to come to our recitals and our concerts, you know, on award day when we're getting some award for some, you know, academic achievement or we're getting a promotion or graduation, commencement. They love to come and they just take so much joy and pride in that. And on the other hand, when we struggle and fail and fall short, they, uh, they take some of the shame in that. Sometimes they take it too far and they say, I'm ashamed of you because you have failed. But what that really means is, that's the negative part of it, but the positive side of it, what that really means is they have a need to see themselves in you, to know that they have done a halfway decent job in raising you. Uh, Let me give you an example. When my kids first started playing Little League Baseball a few years ago, 
you know, you know, like one of the things I decided, you know, my, my parents never came to any of my games. They didn't come to a soccer game, football game. Not, they never came to watch me. They, one time they came to a football game and I was sitting on the bench the entire time. So it didn't count. All right. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my parents, they didn't come to watch me play sports. And so, you know, when I, when I become a dad, and I have kids, I'm going to be at every, I'm going to be the coach. I'm going to be the referee. I mean, I'm going to be at every game. All right. And so, you know, like, so far, I think I've been to almost every single game that my kids have been in, just to, to be there, to support them, to root for them, to be their fan. And uh, their first year of Little League, you know, it's like, it, it is really painful to watch because they don't know what they're doing, but, you know, you got to start somewhere. And the kids, you know, entire season, if we're talking about 10,000 at-bats, every single at-bat, when the ball and the bat make contact, it hits the ground and it rolls, okay, every single time. I mean, that's not very exciting, okay? Uh, but you cheer and you clap, yay, home run, you know, and it goes through the, uh, the you know, so it literally is a home run because nobody can stop the ball, even if it's rolling one mile an hour. Uh, but toward the end of the season, there was this one particular game where my son got up to bat, Nathan got up to bat, and, you know, like, he might not have, you know, been able to hit it over the fences, but he had a mean, you know, he had a mean stance, and uh, he takes that from his father, and, uh, and he took one swing, and for the first time all season, I kid you not, I am not making this up, it was the first pop fly. I mean, it was only about 15 feet, but it was the first ball that didn't just go boom and then roll on the ground. It went in the air. And we were all like, oh. it was like, it was like, it was like, it took like three minutes for the ball to fall. Everybody was watching it. And I was like, my son, my kid. And it was obvious because I had the only Asian kid on the field. My kid. Yeah. You guys know Ichiro? Just like, you know, I mean, I was just going off, you know? I took so much pride in that, even though I probably had nothing to do with it. But when you become a parent, you'll know what I'm talking about. You will take so much pride and joy in the success of your children. And we can't let that get the best of us where we feel ashamed when they struggle and fail. Unfortunately, that happens to be the case. But one way we can honor our parents is to say, you know, you know, Nathan didn't say, hey, Dad, that home run was for you. He didn't say that. But one day, it would, it would really mean a lot to me if, if my sons, all three of them, came up to me and they said, you know, Dad, we love God because you showed God's character to us. It would mean a lot if they came up to me and said, Dad, you know, we uh, live lives of integrity because we never saw you compromise yours. It would mean a lot to my wife and I, to, to, to Esther and myself. Our kids, they grew up and they said, hey, we uh, dedicate our careers to you because you guys supported us through school. You were there for us. You provided everything we needed. You know, that would mean a lot to me. And in the same way, when I tell my mom, mom, you know, my finances are organized and I'm a good saver because you taught me the, the meaning and the value of money. You were frugal and you taught me the value of every dollar. Dad, only, the only reason why I'm somewhat patient is because you are the most patient man I've ever known. And so your patience lives in me. Those are very valuable, important, effective ways that we can honor our parents. Let them know that you are who you are, the good things at least, because of their investment in your lives. 
And the third and final application idea that I want to share with you, how can we honor our parents? We can honor our parents by forgiving them. Every single one of us. We can honor our parents by forgiving them. Because, yeah, we already, we're not perfect. We weren't perfect children, but come on. They, weren't, they were far from perfect parents. Some of you have some amazing parents. I've met them, and I'm, I'm impressed. And I want to become like your parents. And, and, and I'm like, why didn't my parents treat me that way? But, you know, that's, another, that's something else. See, we can honor our parents by extending grace and forgiveness to them. Because the only way we will be able to truly honor them is when we let go of our need to please them. The only way we can honor our parents is if we let go of our need to have to satisfy their needs and their expectations. You see, every person on this earth has this deep need for unconditional love. To be loved and accepted no matter who they are, what they do, or what they've done. Everybody has that longing. They're all, everybody, we're all building and it gets hardened and sometimes, unfortunately, it gets kicked out of our capacity to feel and we become inhuman. But every human has a desire to be loved unconditionally. And the family was supposed to be a place where family love was experienced, where your parents were supposed to love you no matter what. Even if everybody else in your neighborhood and your community and your society didn't think anything of you, your parents, your family would love you. And yet, we have not experienced that kind of unconditional love in our homes and in our families. Because we either didn't get into the school that they wanted us to go to, we didn't make the grades that they were expecting us to make, we're not on the career path that they wanted for us all their lives, we married the wrong person, we don't go to church enough, we go to church too much. I mean, it seems like no matter what, there's something that I'm falling short of to please them. And so we try so hard to please them that we resent them. And their expectations become a burden that is impossible to carry. And so we despise them. But the only way we can forgive them is when our need to please them is now met simply in the fact that our Heavenly Father is pleased with us. And when we understand that God the Father, the perfect Father, is pleased with us, not because of our perfection, but because of His perfect Son's perfection on the cross, then we will no longer have the need to find that kind of approval and acceptance with our earthly parents. Therefore, we can be free to simply honor them and not have to please them. That is the only way we can truly honor them and forgive them. It's when we find that our our craving for unconditional love is only found in God the Father. And then, and only then, will we be able to honor our parents the way they are meant to be honored? Because they aren't perfect and neither are we. See, this unconditional love is given to us as a great example when Jesus 
teaches in Luke 15 about the story of the prodigal son. The son who let down his father, who said, hey, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Just give me my piece of the inheritance and let me go my way and do my life my, the way that I want on my terms. And in that time, culturally, to take your inheritance before your father or your mother had deceased literally was a statement to say, you are dead to me because you weren't allowed to have that money until they were literally dead. And so to ask for it before their, their death would to simply be to say, I'm, we're, we're, I have nothing to do with you. It's as if you're dead to me. So he took his money and he left and he squandered it and he wasted it and he was hitting rock bottom and he realized, you know what, if I go back to my dad, maybe he won't treat me like a son, but even if he treats me like a servant, that'll be better than what I have out here in this world. So as he hits rock bottom, he comes back home. And as he's coming back home, thinking about what kind of punishment he's going to receive, it's the father who's waiting for him and jumps on him, pounces on him, throws himself on his disobedient child, kisses him, puts a robe around his back, a ring on his finger, kills a fattened calf to say, hey, my lost son is back, let's have a party, let's celebrate. See, that's the kind of love we've been hoping for from our earthly parents or from earthly people, but they can never give it to us that way. It's always conditional because of sin. But when we realize that our Father in heaven is perfect and He accepts us because of His perfect Son, whether or not our parents deserve honor from us, respect from us, forgiveness or grace. When we realize that we're loved by our Heavenly Father perfectly, it gives us the ability and the power to honor our mothers and our fathers. But it must begin there. It must begin with an experience of perfect fatherly love from our Lord from our Heavenly Father. And then and only then can we extend a grace, not only to our parents, but to any authority figure, to anyone in our lives that we need to respect, anyone that we need to honor. So let us honor our parents by finding appropriate ways within our own culture, our own family system of recognizing them Let's honor them by understanding their need to see themselves in us. So let's let them know, hey, I'm only, I only have what I have or I'm only good at this or I've only accomplished this because of your support, because of your presence. And finally, let us honor them by forgiving them. And some of you maybe, maybe you need to just like face to face say, mom, dad, I forgive you. And for others of you, that doesn't mean just call right now and say, hey, I forgive you. What? I never did nothing wrong. I'm not saying go out and start a fight. Like, who's your pastor? Get, get him on the phone right now. I never did nothing wrong. You know? I, but you know what I mean. You know how this applies to you, uniquely and individually. And until you're able to extend that kind of forgiveness, it's really going to be hard for you to fully experience and to say that you've experienced the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and accepted us despite our disobedience, our rebellion, and our sin and shame. So let us honor our parents 
in the Lord. Because this is right. In the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we um, ask for a spirit of grace and healing this morning. As we have just reviewed and reflected upon what it means for us as your people to honor our parents. God, some of our parents have just been exceptional people who've loved us and poured every bit of all that they are into our upbringing, our character development, and to all that we've become today. And Lord, we honor them and we praise them and we lift them up and we thank you for them. And others of us, Lord God, some of us, we're estranged. We haven't talked to our parents in months or years. Some of us, God, we've lost our parents. And before they left this world, we didn't get a chance to tell them how much we love them or we didn't get to reconcile with them. Father, so much pain and yet so much goodness in this world has come through our family relationships. And so, Father, may your spirit of grace and healing really overcome all of us here today, no matter who we are, how we've been raised, and what our parents are like, knowing that, Lord, first first and foremost, that you are our perfect Heavenly Father. And as we continue to learn and understand what it means to love you and to serve you and to honor you, As we receive that vertical love from you, Lord, may we extend it horizontally to the earthly people in our lives, our neighbors, our friends, our siblings, and our parents. And so, Father, help us. Help us to honor them. Lord, may we not continue a perpetual cycle of generational sin. May we break that cycle of sin because of the power of the cross, because of the power of forgiveness, because of the power of your love. And Lord, as we break that cycle, Lord, may we bring healing, may we bring life, may we bring reconciliation, may we bring glory to your name. Father, we submit this to you. We ask you to have your way with us. We ask you to take glory and honor in all that we do for you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.